Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, occasional sticky filmmaker and now podcast guy. And joining us tonight, he is the director of the Shudder original film, The Cleansing Hour, it's Damien Levesque. Damien, hello. Hello. Damien, it's taken us a little while to get here and make this happen, so thanks very much for doing it. Well, thank you for having me. And I gotta say, this is a first. Um, this is the first time when we've been trying to organise something uh, with someone and find a convenient time. This is the first time that someone has ever said, "Can we please make it four thirty in the morning, my time?" <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, I've got three kids, and uh, you know, the, the, there's nothing like having children to force you to manage your time well. Yeah, four thirty in the morning is a really great time for me because it's it's uninterrupted, it's quiet, and it's uh, <laughs> you know I've just kind of gotten in the habit of getting up early anyway. So I I'm mostly you. lucid right now. If I start sounding loopy, it's because I'm I'm still only on my second cup of coffee. <laughs> no worries. You have gone for the Gate from nineteen eighty seven as uh, your film. You want to talk a little bit about why you picked that? Yeah, you know, the, the, re- the reason why I picked it was because it was actually a reference point for a few reasons uh, for, uh, for the cleansing hour. And right. uh, it, was, it, was rec- it was recommended to me by uh, a practical makeup effects artist who we were interviewing at the time. And he's like, you got to check out the gate because we were talking about making some creatures for the movie mm-hmm. and maybe using some forced perspective in order to do it. We have a lot of practical effects in the cleansing hour. And mm-hmm. he and he was like, well, you got to see the gate, and the you know because the gate did some amazing uh, things. Like Randall Winston Cook, who Randall William Cook, excuse me, was the visual effects genius behind the gate and also the Lord of the Rings, uh, using forced perspective, camera trickery to you know make things look bigger or smaller in the scene than they really are. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I, that's that's kind of how I got introduced to it. I got introduced to it later in life. I mean, I've been watching horror movies and just movies my whole life, but like somehow the gate slipped through the cracks. And, you know, I was, uh, let's see, I was five years old when the gate came out. So I got to, I got to enjoy this movie later in life. But, you know, that's the story. Lovely. <laughs> it's always kind of interesting when people... Um... Because so often when people are picking films for this, it's uh, something that they grew up with and they're kind of still kind of watching it with not necessarily like a child's eyes, but kind of like that excitement from when they first saw it. So it's always kind of interesting and a little bit different when people uh, bring something that they kind of came to as an adult. I, I totally know what you mean. And the first movie that the first movie that I wanted that I wanted to do was sort of like that. But this one, I I have a different appreciation for just because like there are a lot of movies from this era, from the 80s that have that you know sort of childhood allure and that nostalgia to them this one has nostalgia but for different reasons and a lot of that has to do with like the filmmaking the style the production value the choices that they're made they're you know it's got like this great package of good and campy Mm -hmm. that i think everybody can enjoy and the thing about the thing about is i don't necessarily think the gate 
doesn't deserve a second look. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you know, they put out a special edition Blu-ray with like all these great, spe- you know, special features and everything on it. And yeah, it's actually really is like one of those movies that every horror lover and every movie lover really should see because it's uh, it's got so many awesome things about it. You know, it was it, it was not a small movie for when it came out. I mean, like it had a six million dollar budget. It was it's got these incredible, incredible visual effects in it. All practical, of course, because there was no CG then. But uh, like, you know, when you're watching it, it's got it's got, you know, sort of campy, cheesy things. Like we look back on that stuff now. It's like, oh, you know, we'd never write that into a movie. But back then <laughs> it was totally terrifying and awesome. So, yeah. Andy, what was your background with The Gate before this watch? I am revisiting The Gate with that kind of same air of childhood wonder and nostalgia, Mitch, because this, like I say so often, this was a real kind of video shop go-to for me. It was one of those films that when I first saw the artwork, which was kind of the title of the film, just kind of smashed into the ground, and I think hands coming up, if I recall correctly, I was like, yes, Mm -hmm. I have to see this. Don't know what it is, don't care, I have to see it. Um, and it was something that I got out the video shop loads and loads of times. The, the actual video shop this time, Mitch, uh, not from the, 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 the creepy guy with the video van. Um, uh-huh, sure. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, from the video shop, went back to it loads of times and kind of in the intervening years, went back to it plenty of times as well and actually picked up the the Vestron DVD, or Blu-ray rather, I should say, that uh, Damien was talking about a minute ago. So yeah, it's a film that's kind of, always been i mean i was what what would i have been six or seven when this was made yeah it's a film that's always kind of been there for me <laughs> and it was it's kind of weird and kind of it's got that kind of goonies-y charm and it's got bits of poltergeist in it that I, that I love and it's just it was one of the first films that kind of felt heavy metal because it had like a dangerous heavy metal album in it uh a lot it's just it's just great i love it <laughs> Yeah, we'll get to, we'll get to that um, uh, as it arises. But I was not ready for the uh, backmasking plot point <laughs> in there. I thought that was really cool, uh, Damien. Before we get into this, uh, we make everyone that comes on do one thing, which will be in this instance for the benefit of anyone who is listening that hasn't seen the gate. Andy is going to put thirty seconds on the clock. I'm going to count you in, and we're going to ask you to give us your best thirty second synopsis of the gate. Whether that is running right through to the end of the movie story wise, or if you want to do some scene setting, is up to you. But thirty seconds to kind of do an elevator pitch on the gate. How do you feel? Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Andy, thirty seconds on the clock. Yes. Fantastic. Three, two, one, go. While they are left alone, parents. These two kids' parents, or one kid's parents, leave uh, the house for a trip. Um, these two buddies find this book and read a spell and open up a gate to hell in their backyard. It's pretty much that simple. <laughs> and then they're forced to close it up. They're forced to close it up before mom and dad get home. Yeah, that's the story. I suppose it is. Yeah, fine with it. Fine with it. I, I thought at the start there, I was like, oh, you should have had that other cup of coffee. This isn't going to go well. But you, you pulled it back. You pulled it back. And it, yeah, it all made sense by the end. Uh, with one second remaining, I might add. Oh, great. Love it. That's my uh, that's my training as an editor. I know how to, do, I know how to cut a 30-second spot. <laughs> The way that this opens, I was kind of disappointed when this turned out to be a nightmare because I thought that the start was so cool. Right. Um, when you see Glenn, the, our kind of main character, coming home to this empty house um, and that like 
kind of finds this sumptuous table full of food that has obviously been left in a hurry. Uh, kind of like all the all the hallmarks of this kind of like hasty evacuation. You, you um, think that looks sumptuous? Like, it looks it looks horrible. <laughs> there's, a, like, there's a lot of food there anyway. But yeah, and between all this and then him kind of going out to the treehouse and the treehouse getting struck by lightning, which is a really cool set piece as well, I think. Yeah, when he woke up, I was like, oh man, I I was kind of very invested in a mystery that was never going to get solved. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was the, the the opening for me. Uh, it, it's also sort of it, it definitely is sort of like that red herring that, from my perspective, and again, I, I you know I have to make it clear that I am I am I was viewing this as somebody uh, you know as an adult who was you know watching the movie for research purposes and all of that, and it it always seemed so silly to me. You know, the whole sort of the whole opening, and uh, of course it of course it pays off, but you know, it it, it works. It totally works. What what they're doing. Yeah, and Mitch, you mentioned Glenn there. Glenn played by Stephen Dorff in his uh, feature debut. Really, I didn't know that. I knew it was I knew it was Stephen yeah. Dorff, obviously, but I didn't know it was his feature debut. Yeah, it's worth it's worth noting because I mean he's really terrific. He's a great child actor, and he's a obviously a great actor mm. as an adult as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So somewhat prophetically, a tree has been cut down in his back garden. Uh, the backyard on this house is enormous. Yeah, it's a big backyard. They 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 had to actually build most of it for for uh, you know like elsewhere and i think toronto or vancouver or something where they were filming they had a real house that they built i mean they had a real house where they filmed it but then they had to film the a lot of the effects and stuff like that on a set on a, on a backyard that they built and they like constructed the back side of the house and everything to sort of have a fake backyard because uh of all the various effects and whatnot mm. that happened in the backyard I, I love this house. When I was young, uh, this house and the one from Big, like uh, Josh's flat when he kind of becomes a man in Big, they, they were just they just seem so cool and big and American to me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it does have that real suburban nightmare thing that Poltergeist has, uh, which I think also kind of draws me. Poltergeist's one of my favorite films. It really does have a lot of similarity to Poltergeist. It's 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 kind of interesting how closely related those two movies are. Yeah, so you know, I it also it also is sort of like there's the you know you mentioned Goonies, this has that childlike quality that sort of like I remember as a kid like having treasure hunts and you know creating narratives around like a mysterious thing that we find and where where did it come from and you know alien artifacts and like these two boys find this strange sort of amethyst crystal in their backyard and you know as they're <laughs> as they're digging around this this hole sort of like opens up underneath where this tree had fallen down. And um, like that kind of is what kicks the whole movie off at that point. Like word of advice, don't, don't play with, you know, crystals that you find in your backyard and holes. It's never going to go well. Also pay, no. pay attention when you're playing around a hole, because I think there's two or three instances in this film where just due to people not paying attention, they fall down a hole. Yeah, just general yes. negligence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, oh, it's it's also it's also funny too that you know, like mom and dad have mom and dad are gone, right? Like they 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 take off. Well, not yet in the movie. They're not gone yet, but like they take off and like they they completely trust these two kids to not get into trouble. I just wonder, like, I'm a parent now, and I wonder, like, in what world did parents ever trust their kids to this degree? <laughs> 
No. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, this, this did cross my mind. Um, I am the only one of the three of us who's not a parent. But I remember thinking that they were literally in the aftermath of him having done something very irresponsible. Mm-hmm. And we do we do learn as well, um, kind of, because like you say, Damien, they find the rock or the kind of uh, the mysterious crystal. And then sometime later, Glenn and his friend Terry, who we are going to talk about at length, <laughs> um, are kind of redigging that hole. But we also find out that... Um, Glenn's rocket-based activities have been curtailed because he recently blew a hole in the roof of his house uh, yes. with one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, like, yeah, when 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 they're like, okay, so he's been pulled up twice, presumably in relatively close succession, for doing kind of irresponsible things that cause structural damage to the house or the garden. And they're like, right, we're going to go away for three days. Don't do anything stupid. Yeah, and a fifteen-year-old daughter don't have a party. Right. Definitely, <laughs> definitely don't let your suspected sociopath friend stay over. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about Terry, right? Yes, I think that we're. I, I, yeah. I think that we have to talk about Terry. We need. We need to talk about Terry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Terry, who's played by uh, Louis Tripp, so the, I, the first thing when I was reading, I was trying to, I was reading up on some background in this movie, and I guess somewhat coincidentally, I think Louis Tripp kind of got into the Church of Satan. Did you guys read that? No. 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 <laughs> no I, I I read that uh, he might have. He might have actually gotten involved in that. Wow! At, okay. after, as an adult, like he, you know, he he was obviously a fairly famous child actor after this movie came out and the sequel and everything. Uh, and then he he sort of disappeared. But I read somewhere that like he kind of got involved with the Church of Satan and got out of Hollywood and that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, I, I I stand. I, I could I could totally be wrong about that, but I swear I read that as I was going through this. And I don't know. I don't know if it was maybe maybe it was the gate that sort of like drew him to it. Yeah. But uh, you know, life imitating. He did have yeah. to read. A, he, did, he did have to read a scary spell uh, in the movie. By the way, if you ever find a book that says like you know Satan's recipes or whatever, <laughs> I believe that's exactly never, what never yeah. ever ever read them out loud. Like that just seems like a given. Don't read them out loud, <laughs> but definitely cook them. <laughs> definitely cook them for sure but i mean like geez don't read it up wow. no no like do, do not get the audiobook version of that <laughs> no <laughs> um yeah i think that um aligning yourself with the church of satan i don't know anything about the actor but it certainly seems like a natural story arc for teddy the character sure yeah yeah <laughs> teddy's kind of a tragic character though i mean we, we learn that uh he's recently lost his mother his dad doesn't seem to give much of a fuck. We get a little glimpse into Terry's like house at one point, and it's it's an absolute shithole. Like there's cigarette butts everywhere, and just empty pizza boxes stacked up, and like empty bottles of liquor. Uh, he, he just seems to have a bit of a, a kind of troubled life, and obviously he's he's having and him and presumably his dad are still trying to deal with that massive loss. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly given Terry an interesting outlook. Definitely. I mean, like, yeah, later on when you see Terry's house, when he goes in there, because you only see it for a few seconds when he goes in, it's like, have they recently been burgled? <laughs> right. <laughs> also, I, I um, want to say on Terry, it's an, he's an interesting character visually as well, because he, he dresses like a kind of badass metal guy, but his head is that of Millhouse Van Houten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's... He's basically he's he's sort of like me when I was that age. Essentially, he was he's, he's like trying to be tough, but anything but. Yeah, I had, sure, I had preposterous okay. long dark hair. Like, yeah. uh, oh, I looked like a fucking idiot. 
<laughs> yeah, Terry kind of like does have a couple of the kind of classic future sociopath traits, doesn't he? Because he talk because he talks about um, torturing animals and insects and stuff like that. Mm, yeah, um, he's like he's like speculating about how long these kind of insects in a jar could last without oxygen and things like that. So I was like, <laughs> yeah, you know, spotting some red flags here and there. But um, like we say, yeah, the um, the parents are in this household. Uh, so we've got Terry and his sister Al. Uh, yeah. no, sorry, not Terry, sorry, Glenn, Glenn and uh, Sister Al. The, yeah, the parents are around long enough to be like, they're kind of like, are they remind me of the parents at the start of the video for Fight for Your Right to Party? <laughs> um, or George but, Wendt I, at the start of the uh, black or white video. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's like, see, right before they go, it's always like, uh, you see the dad talking to uh, Glenn. And uh, Glenn is like, um, Terry told me a story about the fact that when this house was getting built, a construction worker died and they bricked him up in the walls of the house. Mm-hmm. Which, which like, I didn't see that coming and I thought it was hilarious when he said it because it's delivered so earnestly and it's so ridiculous. But when the dad's like, let me tell you something about Terry, I thought it was going to be like, he's a lying piece of shit. He doesn't know what he saw. He's but a little like... prick. <laughs> <laughs> So I want to talk about this party that um, that Al throws. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, Damien, maybe you could speak to this because I have never been to a house party in America. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Therefore, therefore, yeah. There, therefore, I don't know what the kind of like cultural language barrier is between those t- between those things. You've certainly like, never and, been. And seen... You've certainly never been to one for fifteen year olds. I would hope. Uh, no, not since I was fifteen. Right. Um, but like, um, have, have either of you, have either of you two been to the states? I, I've been, but like when I was quite young, I would quite like to come back with an adult's head on my shoulders and kind of just kind of see a just few places. But I would say, with the kids. not like, in a, a, a few high school parties. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I just, I just want, I just want that experience. I'm going to go for my fortieth birthday. You'll be like that gif of Steve Buscemi. <laughs> yeah exactly that yeah um but i've never been to i've never been like i've been to house parties before but i've never been to a house party where the living room becomes a de facto dance floor really yeah i've never seen that happen is that a thing that happens because like i i yeah yeah. Yeah. that's not that's not exclusively american that happens here do i just go to house parties with a bunch of really shy people that hate dancing yeah well so it needs to be it needs to be a pretty big house party in order for that to happen but i mean it's not that unusual i mean i you know Kids, you know, get a little liquor in them, and they they want to they want to shake a leg. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm guessing that the kind of like uh, the scary stories and levitation exercise part are less of a staple. Yeah, that, that's not something I've experienced. Uh, we did that. There's been a few times where people have tried to do like Ouija boards and stuff without the the prerequisite knowledge of actually how you do a Ouija board. And then and right. inevitably somebody's pushing a planchette around until everyone's like, "This is bullshit," and puts it down and just gets really, really drunk. I, uh, you know, I was, I, I've actually, I have a couple stories about that. I, uh, I've, I've been to some parties. I was, I remember going to some parties. I don't, they were, they were mostly guys, but like we would try and scare each other by uh, playing Bloody Mary. Did you ever play uh-huh. that? Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, you play Bloody Mary. Uh, then there was another one. There was another game that, looking back on this, this is so stupid. But gosh, we did it anyway. There was this game where you you hold somebody against the wall, oh, mm-hmm. and you then you you have them breathe in and fill their lungs as, with air as as big as possible, and then you have two people push against their chest really hard and try and cause them to faint. Did you ever do that? Yeah, uh, heel. That was called blackouts. 
but it's, it's uh yes we did that and then we actually I, I swear we did something that involved some sort of stupid levitation thing uh like this so like this this is this is like tugging at my subconscious like there's something in my past that when i when i watched the scene that reminded me of something that we actually did now of course it didn't go as far as it does in the movie but <laughs> yeah yeah this is this is a uh, it hits pretty close to home wow Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, like, like now, I of course, I wasn't. I wasn't as old as, as Terry and Glenn in the movie, but uh, you know, as far as the teenagers are concerned, like who, the, the teenagers, by the way, who all look like they're thirty-five. Yes. Oh yeah. Like honestly, we we've we, we've done it. We've done a lot of um. We've done a lot of eighties movies recently. Um. Like as like as like a denser than average concentration of eighties movies of late, and so many of them have just got like full grown like adults teetering on middle age playing high schoolers yeah the guy that's pretty great the guy that plays eric who is kind of he's kind of court and al to an extent uh he is conservatively eight years older than her <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah he's uh yeah they're all, they're all, they're all they all look pretty pretty brown for sure <laughs> Yeah, I would say that that's fair. But yeah, they um they do a levitation uh, exercise at the party. They successfully levitate Glenn um at the expense of two different light fittings in the family living room. At this point, I was like, oh, it might be funny to um it might be like it might be a bit to like keep a list of the various things that go wrong in terms of damaging the house while the parents are gone. And then later on, by the time there's like a giant hole in the floor and the entire house is trashed, I was like, no, nah, I've lost count. I'm not going to do this. But <laughs> I, I mean, there's no doubt that this is a successful levitation experiment, right? To the point that he does hit the roof when charlie bucket drinks fizzy lifting drink like he, yeah if anything like it works too well bouncing off the ceiling but uh i think mitch this does have more to do with the fact that they crack that enormous geode that they found in the garden and it yes of course and for yeah. some reason the power that emanates from the geode writes on you know one of those magnetic white clean board things that you get mm-hmm. it writes yep. the exact wording required to summon demons on one of those Yeah, I did. I did like that as a choice. I must say, I didn't. I didn't quite understand. Uh, and this is just a writing thing, but you know, if anybody saw somebody levitate the way that uh, <laughs> the, the way that Glenn did, they, they wouldn't just dismiss it. Like, oh, that's just your imagination. You know, that didn't really. Ha- I mean, like, come on. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's like a collective pretty... hallucination of all thirty people in the room. <laughs> Right, exactly. Like that doesn't happen. I mean, if that if that had actually happened, I would be that'd be a story I'd be telling for the rest of my life. It seems to bring the party yeah. to a grind and halt, though. Oh yeah, I'd be like, okay, I'm out. Bye, guys. You know? <laughs> so so so, so uh, They're like, le- oh no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so levi- levitation, like not only not that impressive, but also a buzzkill. <laughs> yeah, I think true. it's just when you're 15, you don't want to be tied to any kind of damage in a house. So the fact that the lights get smashed and presumably there were like heel prints from his trainers on the ceiling, like you, you're just like, no, I, I don't want to have any part in this. I don't want anyone calling my parents and trying to get them to stump up any kind of money for repairs. I'm going to go somewhere else and just say I wasn't here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that, uh, 
the first time I ever came across this film, and I didn't watch it at the time, but I um I sometimes go to like um a horror film discussion group thing here in Glasgow, and oh, at one I... point we were talking about um uh, not necessarily horror films for kids, as it were, but like with predominantly kid protagonists, and I didn't realize that I had that we were talking about this film until what happens next, and I think that when this film needs to go kind of nightmarish, it gets it really pretty right. Mm-hmm. And I think that what happens here with uh, Terry being visited in the night by a vision of his dead mother who turns out to be the real-life dead dog of this family um, is pretty horrendous. Yeah, yeah, it's really scary. It, and that's, that, that's, this is definitely sort of like the moment when the movie takes a, takes a fairly horrifying turn. And, and it, this is also where you start to kind of pick up on those... Well, I mean, it has it throughout, but I mean, especially the, those poltergeist vibes. Yeah. Um, you know, like the, 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 the wind blowing through the house and like the, the creepy cuts to the bug zapper out in the front, which I don't know if, if you guys, uh, in Scotland have bug zappers, but like there was a period of time in America where everyone had a big bug zapper outside their house because I guess it was stylish. Right. I don't know. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, like the moths, you know, the bugs and everything. And then mom shows up. And uh, she's there holding out her arms and it's this big dream sequence. And, you know, Terry gives him a hug, gives her a hug and then and realizes he's hugging the dead dog, which is pretty terrifying. <laughs> if you came down the stairs, knowing Terry as you do, to find him standing over the corpse of your dead dog, you would immediately assume that this was Terry's handiwork. Oh, yeah. I I 100% thought that and wrote it down. I was like, why is Terry not a suspect in the death of this dog? It's a natural progression from moths. Exactly. I was just like, I was just like, the, oh, yeah, no, like the, the, the kid who was talking about um, uh, torturing moths and also tells creepy stories about dead guys being entombed in the walls of your house. He killed your dog, man. If you find him with your dead dog. He killed him. Moth, dog, horse, man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Terry, not too phased by the experience. The next thing we see him doing is um, uh, a fairly convincing and fairly impassioned lip-syncing performance to the heavy metal record that is about to become the linchpin of this entire enterprise. Yes, yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, uh... I wasn't really, you know, I, I listen to a lot of metal, actually. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm i a metalhead. I wasn't really introduced to it, like, formally, like, to, to the point where I took an interest until late in high school. Right. So I was, like, 17 okay. years old before, like, I really kind of got into it. How old is Terry in this? He's, like, 12? 12, 12. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, again, word to the parents out there. You know, keep like the satanic horror. I mean, the satanic metal away from the kids until at least they're old enough to, uh, legal, of legal age uh, to deal with it. <laughs> um, I was going to ask something about this actually, because um, obviously, as we get into this, you know, um, uh, the this record and the story behind it becomes kind of crucial to Glenn, Terry, and Al kind of understanding the mythology of these beasts that they go on encounter and how to beat them. Um, and like I say, backmasking, playing the record backwards features in that. Was this around the time that this was kind of like part of the, like a major part of the cultural and kind of political conversation in America? Um, there would have been a lot of that in the kind of early to mid 80s, certainly around about the time of the satanic panic and stuff like that. So possibly, um, it, it seems like anybody who 
kind of thought metal was bad, assumed that if you played heavy metal music back, there was some kind of message, normally a bad one, kill yourself, whatever. Uh, in this case, it's actually a positive message when you play it backwards. This, this was this was also right around, like, this was the time of, like, the, you know, the, the religious right in America. Mm. And I think there was a reaction to that that was sort of reflected in a lot of the, the shock value of metal music at the time. Yeah, it was all that stuff um, that uh, Tipper Gore was up to. We've talked about it briefly on the show, Mitch. It's kind of what brought around um, parental advisory stickers on records and stuff. Yeah, this was a, actually 1987. That's that's around the time when, uh, when Luther Campbell, like Uncle Luke and Two Life Crew were the ones that were they're the ones that actually got the whole parental advisory stickers on CDs at the time. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you recall that? Uh, vaguely, yeah. I mean, it's probably uh, something that you you guys are more aware of over there, but it's something that I certainly have a kind of passing appreciation for. Yeah. Um, Terry giving off strong yeah. McLovin and role model vibes here. <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's not a connection I would have made, but now you've said it. Yeah, can't unring that bell. He... Can I, he he puts together. I think actually, it's it's like it's a reasonable spot in Terry's part to connect all these dots. In fairness, yeah, um, I kind of flip flop on Terry between him being an absolute dork and in moments like this, I'm like, he's a bit of a legend. He kind of he kind of drives the entire narrative of the movie, doesn't he? He does, yeah, yeah, in a lot of ways, yeah, up until does. the point where um, he becomes a rat. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, basically the, the the album in question here, and it's really annoying me that I can't remember the name of the fictional band. Sacrifix. Sacrifix. Yeah. That's Sacrifix. that's that's quite a good fictional metal band mm, name. Yeah, no problem with that. Not bad at all. It sounds um, metally, but... and it sounds like drugs. <laughs> sure, sound drugs. Um, but yeah, this is this basically uh, is like the big bo- the the kind of big book of exposition and a how to guide on summoning demons. Yeah, and also like banishing demons, I guess. They try like I think I was kind of curious about what was going on here when you started getting this when they were kind of doing this digging and we were getting this grounding in this. It was intercut with uh, Eric trying to dispose of Angus the dead dog. <laughs> That's so funny, man. That guy's fucking. That guy's driving around the street with that dog propped up in the passenger seat like it's fucking Bernie Lomax. <laughs> and everybody like when he decides like he can't take it to the to like animal control to dispose of it, and he goes back to the house. He just opens the door and lets it flop onto the ground. Like that's 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 <laughs> terrible treatment of a dead a dead animal. If that was a human, he'd go to prison. <laughs> oh man! Obviously this is designed to intersect because they think that they've successfully closed uh, the gate. What they don't realize is that uh, Angus's final resting place was in the hole. The summoning is now complete. Yes. I actually want to touch on something really quickly. Um, when, uh, just before this, um, Glenn is kind of flipping out to Al and her friends in the kitchen about these weird things that are going on. And uh, Al tells him to cool out, which feels like a typo that survived its way to the final draft. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think everyone has, anybody has ever said that. It's just, it, in real to, life. to me, it's just not as severe as chill out. It's just a little milder than that. Oh, could be. Yeah, I like, like, it's like, as opposed to like, calm the fuck down, it's like, scale it back 10 or 15%. Exactly. Just cool out. Um, I mentioned this because uh, there's a really bizarre exchange of insults between. Um, Glenn and Al's friends Ugh. here. Um, I, o- I only wrote one down, uh, which was when Glenn told one of them to suck my nose till my face caves in. Yeah. 
Mm. <laughs> are they, no, is this is this the are they the Lee sisters? The Lee sisters, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're 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 abhorrent. Like, I don't know why she's friends with these people. I also, one of them has the most preposterous hair. Even by the standards of the 1980s. That, 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 that teased hair that's like sort of sticking up in the front. Yeah, exactly like, that. Like Cameron Diaz and uh, something about Mary. <laughs> yep. <laughs> she must have had a hell of a time yep. at that party to get her hair like that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I think that um, there's a genuinely horrifying moment here where Al thinks that she's being pranked by uh, Terry only to discover that Godfather style Angus's dead body is in the bed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she's grabbed by a monstrous hand from underneath the bed. I like the elements of this that... Because um, like I say, I mean, like... Uh, obviously the kind of willful removing of all of the adults from the situation is no coincidence. This is all designed to be from the perspective of kids. And I like the way that it leans into like conventional childhood horrors like Monsters Under the Bed and things like mm -hmm. that. I think that this is a really effective moment, if, uh, like, just for that reason. Agreed. Yeah, I know. This is, this is definitely one of my favorite parts of the movie. I mean, this is when it, this is sort of like when it doesn't hit the brakes until you get to the end. <laughs> um, and also, like, I do really think it's worth pointing out the, the practical effects. Yeah. I mean, they, this is this is just really high quality stuff here. I think especially uh, um, when the parents return home, parents and in, in inverted commas, uh, when they return home and... Um, Glenn kind of smooshes his dad's face and then his head like drops off onto the ground like a mouldy melon and just splats everywhere. Uh, this stuff's amazing. Yeah, this 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 also. Uh, I think they do the same thing in like Poltergeist Two or Poltergeist Three, where they like rip into somebody's face like this. Uh, do you recall that? Uh, there's certainly the bit in Poltergeist One where the guy peels his face off in the bathroom. Okay, yeah, the, but uh, yeah, okay, so it does happen in, in Poltergeist. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I, I, there, those are the, there is another Poltergeist where I think it's like Tom Scarrett and they rip at each other's faces. I have oh, that would that, be the third one then, which we've, which we've covered on the show. Oh, yeah, yes. It makes it kind of inexcusable that neither of us can remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the thing um, about Poltergeist 3, though. It just, it just passes you by once you've watched it. You know, like, they're, they're, it really. I also just, you know, because I'm such a, I'm such a nerd for this stuff. But like, it can't be overstated the amount of time and care that goes into getting one of those shots for like ripping into someone's face mm. or just. It, it, I mean, any of these practical effects just take so much time and care just for one little shot. It, it's like you'll spend you'll spend half a day on something like. Yeah, even in mm -hmm. even in my stuff, which uh, I mean, we we have like multiple different stages to the one effect. Like you've got like one bit that's just like skin with a tattoo, then you get another bit which is like the peel away one, and then you get another bit where it's gone and it's got a sewn up bit on it. It's just like layer upon layer upon layer, so it does take up a lot of your time. And uh, <laughs> like it's just like okay, we've shot that now. That took five minutes, and now we need to go back to makeup for another two hours. Yeah, that's right. Um, I feel at this point, like, I, I like the fact that this film spends, like, spends so much time on the setup and to kind of get to where it needs to go. Because I think it's only really in the last half hour or so where it really changes gears. And it, so I think that, like, and I think that the gear shift into, like, nightmare territory is quite abrupt. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that, I think that, like, it just means that, like, everything that happens, the kind of, like, the big spectacles and the big set pieces that we're about to get into all feel really earned. Yeah, they are. They're they're really earned and uh, 
and like it's I like this is one of the things I actually like about about horror movies that a lot of horror movies don't do today, which is they really take the time to dig into all the characters. Uh, yeah, like you really have a you have a, really have a sense for who these people are at this point. You know, I think the pacing of this is definitely slower than than what we're used to seeing uh, in t- in today's you know modern horror, uh, but it works for sure. Absolutely, it does. Well, the the pa- and, and by the way, by pacing, I mean like pacing in the first forty minutes. Yeah. You know, sure. but by, by, by the time by the time things get turned up, you know, it's it's pretty conventional. You know, yeah, I think uh, right about this point when they like when we, we first kind of see the little guys, uh, the little kind of minion feature <laughs> guys who are just incredible, love them, are amazing. Um, and th- then the decision is made to get the sacrifice album and send these little bastards back. I love that when they get the album and. I guess on the surface that looks like exactly what you would need. Like, if you think back to things like Evil Dead, you go right. Okay, well, as long as we've got the Necronomicon, we can conceivably send this power back. Um, so they get the album and they're like, right, let's go, let's read this shit, um, and it immediately bursts into flames. Like it's gone, it's gone. Like that, on, on the surface of it, that one thing that could potentially save you uh, is completely gone. So the decision is made to wield the Bible in its stead. But I, I like that none of them really know where to start, so it's just like, there's a moment later where they just literally begin at the beginning of the Bible. <laughs> yeah, doesn't he, doesn't he shout to read anything from the Bible? <laughs> like, read anything! Um, I, see, like, that was something actually, because um, uh, I was, um, when I was watching it, um, I when he was reading the stuff to, like from the Bible to try and close the gate, I was like, for one thing, I was like, has he just like gone for any old passage here? And then also, I was like, if that is what he's done, then he's landed on his feet because this seems to be working. Yeah, it, it does seem to work. But um, it was a bit later when they returned to the Bible, and it's like they literally start with, uh, "In the beginning, there was darkness." <laughs> You're like, right? Well, maybe if you can stem the evil for long enough, keep it at arm's length, you might finally get to the passage that actually does something. But it requires reading <laughs> the whole Bible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, theology in, in in movies is always very silly. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, yeah we, it's, we just did an episode on The Exorcist too. We know exactly how silly theology and movies can be. Yeah, <laughs> I you know there's a lot of there's a lot of theology in in, in my film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually made a, an active effort when writing it to to make this as grounded in reality as possible. Sure. Uh, just because it's it's I didn't you know. The, the silly theology has always been a thing that irks me. Uh-huh. I, I think that um, I think that somebody starting from page one of the Bible and just reading it sequentially like some kind of like demonic filibuster <laughs> is like quite a bad example. <laughs> yeah, right. The demons are like, oh god, we're gonna be here a while. <laughs> also, they're like, that's okay, that's okay, we can wait. More power <laughs> they to, don't have more, the votes. More power we, to them for being able to read under those circumstances. Like, I, I'd be so scared. I'd be frozen rigid. There would be no way in that I would have the wherewithal to painstakingly read, of all books, the Bible. <laughs> right? I, I like the fact that the kind of like the, the shifting gears towards kind of all the final standoffs. So I say final standoffs because there are a few of them, is kind of triggered by. Terry's like scaremongering story about there being a dead person in the walls of the house turning out to be true. <laughs> right. Oh, I'll, I'll, hold on. Can I back up for just one second? I want to point something out. There's this moment when 
the kids are going down to the basement to go get the book, to go yes. get the, the the Sacrifix album because they mm-hmm. need that in order to you know complete the the the, the spell. And it, it, this this moment just kind of like comes and goes, but it's so odd. Uh, Glenn turns to like a family photo, and like everybody in the family is dead <laughs> except for him. <laughs> Do you remember this? It's yeah. hanging on the wall, and they're like, "Glenn, what is it?" And he goes, "Never mind." And he just keeps on walking downstairs, like this is oh, it's just it's another spooky yeah, yeah. day in the house. It's like yeah, yeah. dead. That's such a good sight because I um, I actually wrote that down because I think that that's a really nice touch because it's horrible. Like the picture is horrendous when you see it, but it is yeah. like because but if, but if that was me, I would be like, "What the fuck is that?" Like I wouldn't like, like I wouldn't be like, "Why is it?" Oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, he's just, but he's just so deadpan. He's like, it's nothing. <laughs> my, my family's dead, and it's a great. It's actually a great. I like. I love the idea. It's so spooky. Can you imagine coming home and like you, all of your all the family photos have been photoshopped to like have everyone in them dead? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's, 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 it's like a Tyler Durden type prank, you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah um yeah god i mean like god i know we're making jokes about it but it really is like it is horrific and it is it's i think it's a really effective touch it's like it's just one of those things and again it's one of those things it's in and out in a second but i'm so glad it's there yeah yeah it's it's great it's a nice touch um so then they then they go out and then they go out and they're, they try and like finish the spell in the backyard right they they, they get the book and uh again like they throw caution to the wind, you know, standing around this giant demonic hole in the ground. Yeah, yeah. And, and of Which course, Ted really kind of stretches. It really kind of stretches the uh, the boundaries of you know of belief. <laughs> but uh, you know, Terry, that clumsy you think kid. So? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Terry tumbles down and he comes face to face with the little guys, and it's uh, it's really great. It's just oh man this is a scene that um, just takes me right back to being like right back to being at school and talking to people about the gate i remember that i always remembered it at school being much more frightening than it was or than it is i should say but uh yeah it's it's excellent teddy's quite unflappable <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i mean <laughs> i guess whenever you have a father who i mean par- dead parents and a yeah. dad who Probably doesn't treat you so well. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like 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 very early graduate from the school of hard knocks is our Terry, I think. Yeah, when you're when yeah. you're forced to fend for yourself every day of life uh, at twelve years old, like, I guess nothing phases you, even small demons biting your neck. Yeah, see, see, to begin with, when we when we met Terry at the beginning, I was like, this kid is a fucking arsehole. We're gonna have to watch him for this entire thing. <laughs> and then, like, um, and then as it went on, and I heard more about his backstory, I was like, I judged him unfairly. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of really cool effects moments in this that I want to just touch on very quickly, just as being my my kind of favorites. Um, there is a point where uh, one of the like little guys gets his arm stuck in the door. The arm falls off and kind of disintegrates into like little maggots that scurry away under oh, the door. Mm-hmm. Oh, good, yeah, amazing! And I think I know what the other uh, one you're going to uh, say is. Uh, it's my favorite one. So yeah, go on, have a guess. Is this when we see the workman and he gets hit in the face with a ghetto blaster and topples over and bursts into loads of little guys? 
Yes, I um, I actually, I actually kind of like made a noise out loud when that happened when I was watching it. <laughs> Replicate yeah, the noise. It is, it is one of the coolest practical effects ever filmed. It is seriously, it is unreal. You watch it, you could play that back a thousand times, and it'd be like, whoa, how the hell did they do that? Yeah, hundred percent. It's 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 so cool. Like, I I I really do love it. What was the um, noise? The noise I made it was something like. Ah! <laughs> Something to that effect. Um, uh, so the construction worker, after this happens, though, I say construction worker. I mean, I'm assuming that the reason that there's a guy in the walls is because Terry's story is true. It might be an unrelated dead guy. Um, but he comes back um, and basically Al and Terry are both kind of kidnapped by this kind of this entity guy who like drags them both into the walls. Um, potentially that potentially both human sacrifices required to fully open the gate and let these demons kind of come streaming full bit, uh, kind of full force into the world. Yes. Right when this happens, um, Glenn puts together, I would say, connect dots with kind of alarming speed that uh, the rocket that Al got him for his birthday may be a symbol of love and purity that might defeat the old gods, because why not? <laughs> You're right. He spends a lot of time in this film having to think for himself when previously he's had his big sister and to be honest his far more clued up friend so you can kind of it kind of does feel like a bit of a stab in the dark but hey yeah i mean whatever gets the yeah, job done. I, I i thought i thought that was yeah I, I thought it was a bit of a stretch just to like sort of buy that that would work but you know whatever at this point, I'm in. You're like, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I want to. I want to say by the way, yeah, I bring that up. It's like I also I don't care. Like, yeah. like, it's yeah. like I don't. I, like, yeah. I, I really don't have a problem with it. It's like it's. I think it's the only Damn. moment where it's like where it's like right. Okay, that just had to happen to get to the to get the film to where it needs to go. That's fine. Yeah. I, yep. I totally. wish the rocket. See if the rocket had been called something like uh, the Messiah's missile or something. That'd have been like right. Cool. That's it. That's the one. That's what you need. You, you need that. That's gonna bring down evil. But it's just the thunderbolt. I don't like. I I want to talk about the uh, the kind of summoning of the giant demon mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that you get here. I feel I feel like a lot of the kind of but you, like you kind of have to be careful about how you talk about the third act of this because you're just talking about an effects moment and saying it's great. It's like yeah, it's great. But to be fair, this is like this is just an endless sequence of really inventive, really cool, really effective, um, practical stuff. Yeah, yeah. The stop motion oh, yeah. in this big creature is amazing. It never sometimes stop motion looks really awkward and weird uh such as in the case of basket case which right, where it's it's cool in the film it's amazing that they did that on the budget but here it's quite seamless like it's it's really it's really impressive bit of stop motion and puppet work as well yeah it it, it looks really good and i think that there's just something to learn about you know the difference between what you see in a movie like this and what we see today mm-hmm with you know cg characters and like what's truly possible i mean you don't really have to i i understand that there are a lot of times budget constraints that would stop you from doing stop motion but like a lot of this stuff is terrific you know Mm. and it still has like some of the wide shots especially still have sort of that sort of like that ray harryhausen like all like super sharp focus in every frame look but uh you know otherwise it's, it's it all works very well also, like the static, like the locked off camera too is like that. That's always sort of a giveaway of like what you're looking at. Okay. But uh, 
you know, because like the, the camera's never moving for obvious reasons. Like they didn't have motion control, that sort of thing back then. So like, you know, like the, the camera has to be parked in order for them to like do the stop motion for this thing and like do an optical to blend it with like the live action. Another great effect is um, after Glenn gets attacked by the rodent Terry. Uh, oh, also, he gets his eye poked out by a Barbie's leg, which is amazing. Um, but then he 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 gets an eye. Uh, Glenn gets an eye on the palm of his hand, and it's a yeah. it's a really great effect as well. Like it it looks it, it looks pretty seamless even now, over thirty years later. Oh yeah, I love that effect. I I think that's actually. Wasn't that that was? Uh, I think I read that it was actually Randall William Cook's hand. Right. Oh, really? Yeah. His hand has an eye in it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. Not anymore, much because they stabbed it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's. Um, that, I think that that's a really cool effect too. Ultimately, uh, Glenn, like, really, like, really getting on the train of this rocket being the key to his salvation. Really committing to getting on that train. Digs around, finds a battery-powered launcher, mm-hmm. which he, which he uses to uh, shoot the rocket into the heart of the large demon. Uh, which, uh, so the demon, understandably irate, throws him around a little bit, but ultimately does die. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um. <clears throat> So this uh, closes the gate and banishes everybody. Also undoes the death of the dog. Um, mm-hmm. And Terry and Al emerge also fine. Uh, does not undo the massive structural damage to the house. That's where it draws the line. Um, but mostly pulls into um, a pretty happy ending here, apart from the kind of like, what are we going to do when mom and dad get home? Uh, which actually, you know what? I'd be curious. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're in deep shit. Like, real deep shit. There's no way... You could talk all day about what happened here and they're never going to believe you. Like, I remember I once kicked a ball through a garage window in my back garden and I, I wanted to run away. If when my parents returned to that house, instead of just having a broken garage window, it was a charred husk, I think I would be more <laughs> inclined to... Not just run away, I, I think I would have to run away, change my name, uh, just basically take on a, a whole new life as a, a whole new child and just hope that some other family <laughs> yeah. took me in. With that, I guess we're out on uh, the gate and Andy. Yeah. I don't think that I really need to ask you how you feel about this. I think that the last hour or so has been fairly self-explanatory, but um, have fun with this one. I have fun every time I watch this. It's, um, it's something I go back to probably just as much as I go back to something like Gremlins, which is quite regularly. Uh, I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's got ma- there's massive invention in it, and it deserves to be. I mean, it's it's quite a, it's a really well liked film, but I think it deserves way more love than it gets, um, and it gets a fair amount. I think more people need to be clapping their hands and talking about the gate with more regularity than they do. I I, I agree with you. I I think that I think that this movie has stuff in it that just set the tone for so many things that we have today, and you know, like I. I like you said, that you know, there has that Goonies aspect, the child stars who sort of drive the narrative, the effects, the just sort of the the plot devices. It all works so well; it really ticks all the boxes. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have too much more to add beyond what you guys have said. I mean, I, I like I say, um, this is one that I've heard people talking about for a while. Um, it's kind of come up in a lot of conversations, and it was good to have a reason to just kind of finally just free up an hour and a half to sit down and really kind of really take it in i thought this was great like um uh, it's probably one of my it's probably one of my favorite films that we've done in a little while and um we've done a few things recently that i've really enjoyed but um 
I, I really like I really like the story to this. I think that um, a lot of the like and we touched on it, but a lot of the fact or a lot of the way that the kind of bombast of the later stuff works is because um, it grinds itself so hard and kind of letting you have an understanding of the characters and letting you kind of live with them for a little while before things get a little crazy. But set pieces are amazing. The practical stuff is amazing. I think that, like, it's one of the films where I think that, like, I find the kind of, like, 80s silliness of certain elements of it to be, like, particularly endearing, and I can't tie down precisely why that is. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I just I just really enjoyed it. I can see myself, like, it's on Amazon Prime in the UK as well. I mean, like, uh, I could see myself going back to that. I could imagine it entering the kind of rotation of things to put on when you've got friends over when that's legal again <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, Damien, this is a, uh, a great pick. Thanks. I, 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 I will say that part of the nostalgia of it, too, for me, is also just that it reminds me of a time when, like, people just were, like, you know, kids were afraid of spooky stuff. Yeah. And, and you know, there was, like, you know, kids had other kids over and they weren't glued to their phones. And, like, there was just an innocence to it that that I really, truly love um, and I, I certainly miss. Yeah. yeah. When kids were allowed to be kids. <laughs> Yeah, you know, levitate people, trash life in, summon demons, you know, stuff like that. That's you can leave your door that's, unlocked. That's that's kids being kids. Yeah, like that's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yes, Damien, uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, your film, The Cleansing Hour. Um, sure. Which uh, obviously has has landed on Shudder. Uh, by the time this airs, that it'll have been on Shudder for a few weeks. So I, so this film had its UK premiere at Fright Fest Glasgow mm-hmm. uh, back at the beginning yeah. of the year. Um, I was in the room for that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I really enjoyed the film. I liked it a lot. Um, I revisited it just lately, and um, I got just as much out of it again. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about how it came together in terms of kind of like the idea behind it and um, and kind of the production? Yeah, I mean, it started as a as a short film that I made as a proof of concept for the feature. The idea, the genesis of the uh, of the idea was kind of born out of my experience working in reality TV and this fascination with how editing and like crappy video footage can really trick people into thinking that something is real when it's not, you know, you take a shaky grainy cell phone video and uh, you show something outrageous and all of a sudden it becomes, you know, more verifiable or more, more verite. Um, and I combine that with my love of specifically exorcism horror and just thought, what if there were two guys who were faking exorcisms online that went horribly wrong? Um, that's kind of what it came out of. And then made this short film, went around the world with a short film. It won a bunch of awards. It did really well. And it was a great sales tool for helping to get the feature off the ground. That's cool. Yeah, amazing. I I, I really loved it. I, I, I saw the screener that Shudder sent. <laughs> um, I wasn't there at Glasgow Fright Fest, although I don't really have an excuse given I live in Glasgow. But uh, yeah, I, I, thought, yeah I, thought, I thought it was a really cool, really smart little film. Yeah, I really enjoyed Thank it. You. Yeah, I, I, I'm very, I'm very proud of how it turned out. I think Shutter is the best place for it. It really is. I'm so, I'm so excited to be on Shutter, and it's so funny because, like, you know, the movie's been done for some time, and I wanted it to be released, you know, sooner. Right. But then, like, COVID hit, and then all of a sudden, Shutter's subscriptions. Everyone started tuning into Shutter. They hit over a million subscriptions, and. Uh, now, because of COVID, the movie's gotten more exposure than it ever would have gotten if it had been released on my timetable. So, uh, you know, that's the everything has a silver lining, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely, absolutely. And 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 I mean, like Shutter's um, Shutter's curation. We had Sam uh, Zimmerman on just um, a week or two ago, actually, and we were talking about the stuff, yeah, that, they, the stuff that they'd um, programmed for October. And in terms of kind of like a Halloween crop, 
I thought that this year in particular was really, really strong. Uh, things like uh, the Cleansing Hour and the Mortuary Collection, which also played Fright Fest Glasgow. Uh, yeah, I think that it's all kind of a really high standard, um, or a lot of it is. And I think a cool thing about Shudder is, like you say, it was there before, but especially now. And it, like you say, could very well be a byproduct of uh, COVID and the wider world and the changing nature of how people watch movies. But like... Um, the audience is ridiculously engaged and vocal about the things that they like and don't like. So it's a great platform for something like this, I think. I, the, the horror crowd is not a tough, is not an easy crowd. They're a tough crowd. Um, and they are e- not easy to please. So the reaction to the cleansing hour has been overwhelmingly positive. And cool. I feel like I've really been blessed in that way because <laughs> just whenever you're in the middle of making something, you know, for as much as you believe in it, you are always just terrified that people are going to hate it. Uh, and so I, it's, 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 it's turned out very well. I mean, the, the number of reviews on Cheddar and then also just all the other reviews online and Reddit and whatnot. So people like the cleansing hour. I feel very fortunate for that. Cool. Cool. Damien, this has been great. Um, this is actually like this, this, this has been a really good time. Uh, I have laughed a lot today and, that makes, and that's, that's, a lot, that's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Cool. Uh, th- 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 thanks for being so generous with your time and uh, coming and doing yeah, this. Yeah, Damien. Yeah. Thank you for getting up at half past four to come and talk to us, basically. Uh, yeah. Not a lot of people would do that. So I appreciate it immensely. My pleasure, guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. This has been a lot of fun and, and the podcast is great. You guys are doing a great oh, thing. Thank you. No, no, thank you very much. Let me just ask a couple of things before we, before we wrap up. So we talked about the cleansing over a little bit. What's next? Obviously, things are a bit weird everywhere. Um, what are you doing next? Well, I've got I've got two movies right now that I'm that I'm working on getting off the ground. Uh, cool. They're they're both they're very different. One of them is a contained sort of body horror with this amazing monster uh, that I'm going to do all practically, Ooh. and then the other one is sort of a classic haunted house movie that's set against the uh, backdrop of the like rural ireland oh okay nice i'm really 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 excited about because it it's i I wrote it it's an adaptation of a book and i uh it 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 incorporates like irish folklore and irish tradition uh which there are some very very odd ones that i you know i've turned them into something that's truly horrifying and i'm really and also who doesn't love a good haunted house movie you know Sure. Well, I've got, yeah. I've got to be honest. You had me at body horror. That's uh, that's where my heart lies. So, uh, yeah, you had me there. Yeah, that one. That one. I uh, uh, that one. I would love to do next for sure. It was. It's just for the practical effects alone, because the the creature in it is truly unique. Like you've never seen anything like it, and it's it's the kind of thing that like the horror community needs. They they need this movie right now. <laughs> they need it. Yeah. <laughs> I need it if it's body horror I need it so go go get it get it made go <laughs> thank you yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Shudder if they want to make it it's 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 definitely a Shudder movie oh lovely cool. amazing cool. and lastly Damien yeah. where can people get in touch with you and kind of follow you and stuff on social media uh, it's at Damien Levesque on Twitter and Instagram and D-A-M-I-E-N and uh, that's probably the best place amazing cool yeah, watch Cleansing Hour and send your love and hate my way. There you go. <laughs> Hopefully more, lo- more love than hate, please. This has been really fun. Thanks very much again for doing this, man. Massively appreciated. So I don't want to come out here and be too overpraising of Damien LeVette, sure. right? But lovely guy, made a great film, picked the gate, which I also loved. Great guest. Do you know... I'm not going to disagree with any of those points, Mitch. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed that. 
Yeah, uh, it was great. It was really, really great. Big thank you to Damien Levesque for joining us to talk The Gate. The Cleansing Hour is on Shudder now, and you should all go check that out. Yeah, you should. That's, that's, that's really cool. However, we're done for another one of these. We will be back on Monday with another mini-sode. We will be taking a look at what we've been watching. We will be flying head-on into uh, Nature Gone Wild. <laughs> yes, and do you know, I've, I've been building my watch list on Amazon Prime because, let's be honest, that's where the majority of this shit can be found, like... Oh, that that's where the money is for this. If it's got teeth sure. or stingers or wings or fucking fangs, it's on Amazon Prime. It's preposterous. <laughs> yep, I hard agree. We will, of course, also be taking a look at your feedback and we'll play in Mitch's pitches, letting you know everything you need to know about next week's episode. If you want to get in touch with us in the meantime, loads of ways that you can do that, of course. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC and you can email Scenes at gmail.com. Don't forget, if you want to interact with other listeners as well, you can do that by heading onto our Facebook group, The Chud Locker, which is ever-expanding and still a really lovely place to be. And I'm going to put a couple of appeals here, Mitch. Appeals? Okay. Yeah. okay the first one being patreon.com forward slash Strong Language Violent Scenes. That's our Patreon page. Just go and have a look. You don't have to give us any money. We love doing what we do regardless. So, but go and have a wee peek. There might be something there that you like. Secondly, tell your pals, please. Stick up little tweets on Twitter saying, go and listen to these clowns. They're, they can be funny at times and they can be serious at times. And yeah, Just tell people to come and have a listen. And if they don't like us, fuck them. <laughs> Uh, yeah, rate, review, all those things make a difference, we're told. Yeah, they, they, they actually do, Mitch. They actually do. So please, please, yeah. Tell your pals, write write lovely reviews. Let's boost this listenership. Yeah, let's get this done. Let's uh, finish 2020 on a high because it's been pretty shite overall, hasn't it? Not, not from a podcasting perspective, it hasn't, but certainly from a life <laughs> perspective. Yeah, I think that's fair. From a podcasting perspective, we've had to make some adjustments, but I think that we've set ourselves to it reasonably well. Yeah, it's, it's been so long since we've been in the same room. I know, I know. I, like that, that element of it, I'm less keen on. Yeah, yeah, it sucks. However, we will be back once again, not in the same room, this Monday with another mini so Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.